Why is the Texas heartbeat bill driving abortion advocates crazy? We're going to answer that question today and more on the Mark Harrington Show. So stick around. You're listening to Activist Radio, the Mark Harrington Show, and you can donate to the program by supporting Created Equal. You can do that by going to createdequal.org. So we're going to be talking today about a couple of subjects. The first is the Texas heartbeat bill, which as of today is still in effect in Texas, believe it or not. And abortion advocates are going nuts over this all across America. We're hoping to get to uh, some of the uh, upcoming events at the U.S. Supreme Court, which includes the Dobbs case, which could be the case that overturns Roe versus Wade, we hope. But more importantly, uh, we're going to be talking about the National Day of Remembrance coming up this Saturday with my good friend and colleague in the battle, Eric Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action League. Eric, thanks for being on the show today. Be with you, Mark. So, hey, Eric, uh, we got a lot to cover here. I, you know, I want to get your take because this is an ongoing story here in Texas with the heartbeat bill. Uh, we're all familiar with heartbeat bills over the last 10 years. In fact, I you know in Ohio, we introduced the first heartbeat bill. In fact, your 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 mother and, and your father were here for that uh, in Ohio. That was the first time it was ever introduced. And it was passed in 2019 here. It was not the first heartbeat bill to ever pass, but it was the first to be introduced. So I'm very familiar with this. I know you are as well. But this situation in Texas is very different. Uh, let me just get your take on things uh, uh, on this. You know, we, we followed this Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn uh, project, which was the first time that this whole idea of the right of private action was actually introduced uh, in an ordinance. It was kind of a trial balloon. And then they put it in this Texas law. And as of now, it stands. What's your take on the law right now? What, what, what do you why is it that the first of all, why why you think this has uh, remained in effect? And why is it that pro-abortion advocates are going nuts over this? Well, I think the reason it's still in effect is that it's such an unusual measure. There's never been right. anything like it. I mean, it's sort of similar to some of the laws that have been enacted to, to try to capture people in various kinds of government fraud, you know, Medicare fraud, this kind of thing, um, you know, where private action can unveil, unveil stuff that the government would never find out about. Um, but it's a strange sort of a model where you don't have the state actors like the attorney general who are enforcing right. it. And I think the courts don't quite know what to do with it. There's nobody to stop from enforcing it because right. there's no state officials involved in the enforcement. And there are no actual cases of people accusing someone of having participated in an abortion for them to actually file a motion to dismiss. So they're sort of stuck until they break the law and perform one of these abortions. There won't be a case for them to then try to take to a court county court, state court, federal court, whatever it might be, to try to overturn the thing. So it's a very strange kind of a situation. And we're in this sort of holding pattern, waiting for something to happen. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think the greatest significance of this measure is really the, the very fact that the Supreme Court did not intervene uh, yeah. in order to block it. And I think they could easily have justified doing so because of the strangeness of it. Right. Um, the fact that they left it standing, I think, is significant. And the good news is, as of today, it is in effect and the abortion centers, as far as we can tell. And we've been making calls 
to check in to make sure that they're uh, at least to check to see whether they're actually following the law. And as we can, as far as we can tell, they are the abortion centers in the state of Texas, for the most part, as far as we can tell, are actually adhering to the law. So that means that babies are being saved right now. That means that babies with heartbeats are being protected in Texas. And that's generally after six weeks or so. We have people uh, we've called we've called and, you know, the abortion clinic operator tells us that you can't have an abortion here. You have to go outside the state. So that's all good news. We're watching it very closely here as well as you are. Uh, also, let, let's move on to, I think, the most important case, and that is the, the, the case that's coming before the U.S. Supreme Court in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which a lot of folks believe that this could be the very case that overturns Roe v. Wade. If, if you would, put on your, uh, I guess, your prognostication <laughs> cap or, and, and tell me what your thoughts are on the odds of that happening. You know, Mark, you and I have talked about this many times over the years, uh, formally and informally. And, you know, I've been very skeptical of the possibility that Roe v. Wade would would be overturned anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm coming around, actually, on on this particular case. Uh, There's a great article in the journal First Things by uh, a a, a legal scholar, Robert George. Robert George, yeah. He's arguing that he believes the Supreme Court will overturn. Roe versus mm-hmm. Wade and Casey versus right. Planned Parenthood. And I'm coming around to that view. You know, I, I'm, I'm cautious. I don't want to jinx us, as it were. We've been right. so disappointed. I mean, Casey, many people thought would be it back in 92, uh, the way that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. But, you know, back to the to the Texas law, the, the fact that the Supreme Court did not intervene here, I think, signals a lot. I think they're mm-hmm. almost kind of testing the waters to see what happens. How are people going to respond to this? And, you know, we've there's been a lot of pushback. Many people are predicting that Republican uh, elected officials in Texas and around the country are going to pay a penalty for this thing that's going on in Texas. But I'm not sure that's true. Uh, I don't right. see outside of, you know, the uh, radical pro-abortion movement, you know, and, and the uh, the handmaids that are walking around in their sickly red robes. I'm not seeing a whole lot of really concerned about this in the general public. And I think that's going to influence the Supreme Court as well. So I'm highly encouraged that the Supreme Court will actually overturn Roe. And I don't see how really how they can get out of it at this point. They accepted Mm -hmm. this case. If all they had to do was to leave that law, that law enjoined, you know, blocked in Mississippi, the 15 week ban uh, was, was to do nothing. By taking the case, they're essentially saying we want to do something, very likely to do something. Well, what what else could it be? You cannot square Casey with upholding the Mississippi 15 week ban. They just don't go together. And so without getting too much in the weeds, the Supreme Court really may be on the verge of radically changing the pro-life movement for decades to come and, and really causing us to have to shift our program into one of building on this victory and really saving babies state by state by state. Well, we're all hoping for that and praying for that. And uh, we'll be there when the oral arguments uh, are heard there at the U.S. Supreme Court. We're planning on working with you and Citizens for the Pro-Life, uh, Pro-Life Society on being a presence in front of the U.S. Supreme Court in the U.S. Capitol and even nationally. So, folks, stay tuned for that. Uh, we're hoping to, to lead some type of national effort to bring attention to this case and also be praying for the outcome, which pr- will not likely be. Uh, handed down until June of, of next summer. Uh, so let's. Uh, I, the main reason I wanted to bring you on, other than just getting your your thoughts on these two situations, 
is the uh, the upcoming events this weekend, and that is the National Day of Remembrance. Uh, I like, and, and, and Mr. Producer, if you would go to the website there. Um, this is an effort that uh, you have been leading along with Priests for Life and Citizens for Pro-Life Society for, I think, eight years or so, where you're drawing attention to the the uh, the deaths of the unborn and having people come out to these sites across the country to remember them as a in a solemn event. And I liked what you were saying on the website here that this is just another way of expo one of the many ways you can expose the reality of abortion. And so one of the ways you 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 laid out is that we can provide descriptions of the procedure rhetorically. We can describe it to people. The other was we can present the diagrams, which we have here created equal and live actions created uh, animation, and also just the images of abortion themselves. And number three, we can provide uh, women's testimonies of regret over abortion. But the fourth one you and what we want to focus on here is holding memorials for the unborn. Uh, let's go back. What gave you the idea to start this um, years ago? First of all, what, what, what is the, 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 the idea behind it? Well, this will be the ninth annual annual day of remembrance for aborted children that we've organized. And the very first one in 2013 was inspired by history. We realized we were coming upon the 20th anniversary of a historic burial that took place in Milwaukee of uh, hundreds of fetal remains that recovered from a pathology lab in Illinois, where a security guard noticed all these boxes of fetuses from abortion facilities, abortion facilities all over the country. were shipping these fetal remains to this pathology lab for various testing and disposal. And he was troubled. He contacted a local pregnancy center operator who eventually got in touch with Pro-Life Action League and with Monica Miller, and we were able to recover those bodies. And then she had them stockpiled in her apartment, as recounted in her excellent memoir, Abandoned, which mm -hmm. I think is one of the best pro-life books out there, Agreed. especially if you have a heart for unborn children. You really want to have you want to understand the sort of sympathy that we have for these abandoned, tiny members of the human family. Uh, well, this 25th anniversary became the inspiration for us to launch this as a nationwide project. So we decided that on that anniversary, we would revisit that gravesite and all the other burial places that we knew about. There were about two dozen that we knew we had on our list when we started the project. Over the course of the first couple of years, we uncovered dozens more we didn't even know about, burials that had taken place over decades and decades that abortion's been legal in the United States. We now have about 54, 55 of these locations. Um, and, and the most recent one is the burial place of the 2,411 victims of Ulrich Klopfer, the notorious late, uh, mm -hmm. abortionist who, uh, late abortionist who died uh, just a couple of years ago and uh, was stockpiling fetal remains in his apartment, in his garage of his house, I'm, I say, and, and his, in his uh, trunk of his car. Just a macabre story that really horrified people. Journalists couldn't believe what they were hearing as they were covering this story. And I think that story of Ulrich Klopfer really illustrates why the National Day of Remembrance is so important. What horrified people were the bodies, the idea of these tiny little fetal bodies. The bodies are really the dirty little secret of abortion. You know, we are trying to disembody these children. We're first of mm -hmm. all, we're ripping their bodies apart and shredding them, flushing them down the drain, incinerating them, trying to dispose of them so nobody ever sees the bodies. Because when you contemplate the biomass of 61 million 
embryos and fetuses that have been destroyed by abortion. That's mountains mm. and mountains and mountains of human flesh. That's a, a pile of bloody human flesh that, that you could compare to all the wars of all of history. That's how horrific that and what a huge scale of killing is taking place here. The bodies are really the scandal of the abortion industry. And when we go to the places where some of those bodies are buried, we reveal that. When you stand above a grave where thousands of corpses have been laid, that makes the issue real to you in a way that nothing else can. Well, and I've uh, said more than once that uh, one of the reasons why we use abortion victim photography in the public square is uh, not only because it's highly effective in changing hearts and minds and starting the conversation on abortion, but I feel an obligation to stand with the unborn. Uh, and, and this is the only representation, at least um, visually, that we have. And those are the, the images. Uh, and, and I, in some way, those who stand with the unborn using these victim uh, photos are standing in solidarity with them and in their deaths. And in some way, uh, we are identifying with the pain and suffering that they went through. And I, I, I often believe that, you know, this, this uh, project that you have here of remembering the unborn by visiting the grave sites is kind of a similar notion. I, I think that Monica puts it best in her book that uh, they're abandoned. Uh, this, is, this is really the last uh, way that we can pay uh, our respects to them. Uh, is that kind of the motivation on this as well? Because there's, the, uh, we have the website up with all the sites that people can um, go to this weekend. Is that some of the motivation that you had behind the idea? Yeah, absolutely. This is an effort to humanize these children, to speak out on their behalf and to, or in a sense, be buried with them, to, right. to think about this, the sadness of the loss of their lives. I mean, when you stand, there's a, a grave site in the suburbs of Chicago where I will be with the Day of Remembrance, um, mm. officiating over there. Uh, 2,033 corpses, tiny, tiny little corpses are buried in two mm. caskets in this burial plot. You stand there, these babies were buried in you know, 1987. You think about how they would be, you know, in their, in their 30s now, uh, these right. kids, some of them, some of them would be, would be parents. Some of them would even maybe even be grandparents at this point. So it's generations that have been cut off. We don't know if they were little boys or little girls or whether they would have grown up to be ballerinas or, or bank robbers. Either way, um, we recognize their humanity and we uh, sympathize and stand in solidarity with them um, because they deserve to be represented and they deserve to have people mourn for them. And that's really yeah. what it's all about. Our Lord yeah. said, blessed are they who mourn for they will be comforted. Uh, we need to stand in solidarity with them, but we also need to be comforted. We need God's comfort over this horrifying scandal of, of violence and injustice to this class of humans. So, friends, I want you to take action today. And the first thing you can do is go to the website, National Day of Remembrance. There is a page there that uh, displays all of the sites across America. Uh, it also gives you a list of the states below it. So it, wherever you live, whatever state you live in, you can find a site to go to this Saturday, that is September 18th, and be part of the National Day of Remembrance. So you can go to nationaldayofremembrance.org slash sites to, to find out where you can participate in one of these events. And uh, I think that's a, a very strong, and it's a strong public 
witness to the uh, to the to, to the Holocaust of abortion. You know, Eric, I want to ask you a question, too. I've often you know, thought about, you know, every once in a while we go to the Chattanooga National Memorial for the Unborn. I know you've probably been there yourself. We do that as part of our justice ride. It's usually it, it, it tends to be the most impactful event for our young people to actually see uh, the names of unborn babies on the wall that were killed at this site, which is now, of course, a memorial. But I've often wondered, you know, it's it's kind of unusual that we actually have memorial sites for a Holocaust that's ongoing. Now, I know these memorial sites aren't like the Holocaust Memorial in Washington. That's different. This is a place where men and women can go to mourn or grieve their unborn children. I, for one, I hopefully someday will actually have a national memorial for the unborn in Washington, D.C., a Holocaust type memorial that will memorialize this time in our history. We're not there yet, but I, I do believe these have an important significance in our movement. So folks, you can go to, again, National uh, nationaldayofremembrance.org, and you can find out where you can participate in this weekend's uh, services. Uh, the other thing is, folks, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can go to markharringtonshow.com. We have a list of all the different podcasts, all the popular podcasts, are represented there. And if you would leave a five-star review, that helps us get the information out in front of others. So Eric, uh, I want to continue on this vein, talking about the unborn and the victims of abortion. You're one of the few in America, like Created Equal, that actually displays the broken bodies of aborted baby victims in public. If you would give a give a short defense for that, because I know a lot of folks in our audience, I, I think it's less of an issue, obviously, today than it used to be. I think we've kind of overcome this and realize how effective it is. But there are people out there that think that these don't work. They drive people away. And it's actually disrespectful to the unborn. If you would, let's deal with each one of those. First of all, you do them just as you use them just as we do, because we believe they're effective. I've seen people's minds and hearts changed because of it. But your father was a pioneer of this type of uh, activism. If you would speak to that a little bit. Well, we know that seeing vic the victims of abortion was the thing that inspired so many pro-life leaders to get involved. When you actually yeah. you know, go to a, a group of pro-life leaders, people heading up organizations, whether it's you know a state level organization or a national organization, and you ask them what inspired them to get involved, I'd say at least 50 percent, maybe three quarters will say, they saw a picture and it was at a, it, that they knew abortion was wrong. It was uncomfortable for them, but they saw a picture and that made it real. It made the victims real to them in a way nothing else had. And that's when they went from being against abortion to fighting right. abortion. And that's a, an important distinction. Well, it convinced me. I mean, it was one of the things that convinced me to to get involved. You know, that was my father as well. He saw a picture back in 1972 on a flyer that reminded him of my baby picture of an aborted baby uh, mm. killed in Canada very, wow. very late in pregnancy. And that was what turned it, him into an activist and made him start to obsess about the issue and research it and then eventually become a, a leader in the movement. Uh, and, and, you know, we're often told that it's somehow, uh, you know, disrespectful to display these right. images of these children. Um, yeah, Monica Miller, I think, really nails it when she talks about this issue. These children have a right to be seen. It's disrespectful to hide their bodies away forever and never show right. the world that turned its back on them what it meant, what that apathy and disinterest in the 
fate of these children really meant. It meant bloody, mangled corpses. It meant human life cut out in its very first steps. It meant, you know, little boys will never take their first step. Little girls will never draw their first breath or speak their first word. These are real victims who deserve to be known as real victims of injustice. Uh, and I understand that people are uncomfortable with the pictures, and I understand that they are more effective in some environments than in others. Mm -hmm. We're judicious right. with our use of these images. You know, we don't walk around with you know bloody corpses emblazoned on our T-shirts uh, when we go to every single event. No, but we recognize that there is a, a, a right on <laughs> these children to be seen. They need mm -hmm. to be seen, and somebody has to show them. I'm, I'm far more horrified by an anti-abortion movement that would refuse to show those pictures. That really mm -hmm. seems to me a, a movement that's lost the plot. And, uh, you know, I've become less and less interested in even trying to defend this approach because <laughs> it seems so evident to me that it's that it's necessary. And in no other case would we say, well, we don't want to show the body bags coming back from Vietnam. We don't want to show the uh, lynching victims of uh, right. Jim Crow South. We don't want to show the, you know, the victims of the innocent victims of our recent uh, drone strike in Afghanistan that killed a, a, an aid worker and his family while they were going after somebody else. We show these pictures because they show injustice. We have to That's see right. injustice, confront it and end it. Yeah. Well, Greg Cunningham, I think, put it best when he said no social reform movement has been successful by covering up the injustice. So I think that pretty much crystallizes the issue uh, for us. I think there's a wider problem behind some of that objection, and, I, and, I, and I'm seeing it kind of creep throughout the pro-life movement. This false dichotomy between protest and peacefulness, as if, mm. you know, and sometimes it's a dichotomy between protest versus prayer. People say, well, this is, we're doing prayer. We're, we're not doing protest. Well, I can promise you every time we protest, we're praying before, during, and after. And right. prayer is itself, by definition, prayer to a God that the, half the world doesn't believe in is a kind of protest already. It so is. Quit pretending that there's some, you know, we're obviously opposed to violence. It's even silly to have to say so, but there's nothing violent or, 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 or wrong about protesting injustice. We have to be out there in the public square. And, and uh, we really have to, as a movement, stop trying to, you know, juxtapose a peaceful prayer with protest. They go hand in hand. Prayer and protest go hand in hand. Right. And every time we show an aborted baby a victim, uh, we are protesting the violence. The violence is actually what occurred to the unborn child. Uh, we're a peaceful movement, the most peaceful movement in American history. Eric, I know you're aware of this uh, recent situation in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Monica Miller and others with the Red Rose Rescue were able to retrieve an aborted baby from a dumpster in the back of a, a women's center, so-called, in Cuyahoga Falls. And I had uh, I'd been part of that press conference up there. The uh, the victim, it, the baby has been uh, displayed. And if you would, Mr. Producer, bring that up. Uh, th this makes it real. Uh, we had all of our uh, staff uh, come and actually view the child. I felt it was important that we, you know, this no longer th this can easily become an issue to debate. Mm -hmm. uh, it can become even an abstraction in some ways to pro-life advocates. And we had the opportunity to see the unborn baby. And that baby is going to be buried here uh, on the 25th of September. And folks, if you live within this, the uh, Cleveland, Ohio area, and you're interested in being part of this funeral, just uh, go to createequal.org and send us an email and say, hey, you'd like to be part of it. That's going to be 1 p.m. on September 25th. And I know, Eric, that's 
brings us back to the National Day of Remembrance. And I we got about a minute here. This is happening this Saturday. If you would kind of wrap it up as to why we feel this is an important thing that pro-life activists should be involved in. I think a lot of people think, you know, I just want to do the activism. I want to go out and be at the abortion center. I want to decide what counseling. I want, I want to hold a sign. I want to do some political uh, lobbying or whatever. And they don't think of this as part of their activism. If you would kind of refute that claim, because there are well, people out there think that way. You know, blessings to anybody who's that zealous about activism. They find that this <laughs> kind of true. thing is a little below their interest level or whatever. True. But in fact, for many people, this is their first form of activism because there's mm. no counter protest. You're on the grounds of a cemetery, usually on private property. It's a kind of safe space if you want, uh, a good entry point for people to get involved in pro-life activism um, because we're confronting abortion, but we're doing so in this uh, context of a prayer vigil, very solemn. Um, mm -hmm. I think what's really most significant about this is the public aspect of it. We're giving people public permission to mourn for these children. And that includes mm -hmm. many who regret their involvement with abortion. We've had, you know, women who regret the abortions that they had. We've had men who regret the abortions they paid for. Uh, we've had uh, adoptive parents come in and thank the mom who didn't have the abortion that said yes to mm -hmm. that life. And this becomes a, a public way for us to speak out about these children and, and do so before the eyes of the whole world and in a way that they really can't attack us for because we're praying for the dead. Are you going to really begrudge the unborn having a burial? It's not enough that you've killed them. It's a, really disarming for the other side, I think. My guest again has been Eric Scheidler, who's the executive director for the Pro-Life Action League. And folks, you can get involved in this week's National Day of Remembrance by going to nationaldayofremembrance.org. There's a list of sites that you can visit this weekend. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.